0: village in the Middle East, he is now worshipped by over 2 billion people. But who was this man really? Is he actually God, or has a mere human been elevated by myths and legends? This December, investigate for yourself the historical origins of Jesus. Investigating Jesus' origins at Stapleton Church. Good morning. Hope you guys are well today. My name is Grant Ryder. I'm our community pastor here. And I'm excited to open up God's Word with you and kind of step into week three of this Investigating Jesus series. Um, if you haven't caught the first two messages of the series, I encourage you to go online, check those out, help give a little context to what we're talking about here today. Um, but before we jump in to our message this morning, um, we're going to take a few minutes and I want to invite you to do this with me where you are, but we're going to pray for someone in our church uh, who desperately needs it right now. Um, I don't know how many of you know uh, a dear lady by the name of Linda Schrago Bell. She's been a part of this church for some time and her uh, her and her, Gary, or her and her husband Gary have been With our church, Linda has been a leader in our church. She's led our women's ministry. She's been a community group leader, has been a part of our coaching team for our community groups. Um, But in the last few weeks, uh, tragically, Linda found out that she has terminal cancer, and the doctors have not really given her much chance at all. And so we want to just take a moment and feel compelled to just lift her and Gary up to the Lord and really ask that He will do something uh on their behalf. So, would you join with me in, in prayer for them? Lord God, we just bow before You this morning as we gather together, um and as we come up to these days of Christmas, Lord, and we lift up our dear friends Linda and Gary. <clears throat> and Lord, we can't imagine what they've been going through. But Lord, we pray that in Your sovereignty You would move and You would work. We pray for Linda, Lord. We ask that you would provide hope and encouragement to her right now. And we pray, Lord, that you would do a miracle. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would heal her body and provide a full recovery. Lord, we trust that you will be good to them. We thank you that you love Linda and Gary. We pray for strength for Gary as he takes care of Linda and figures out what is next. Lord, we we believe that you are good. And we ask that you would intervene. And be glorified in this circumstance, in this situation, Lord. We trust you and we commit Linda and Gary to you right now. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining with me in that. And I just encourage you you know, keep them in your prayer uh, this holiday season. And as you, know, you go from here today, uh, they def- definitely need our prayer right now. Well, like I said, we're going to jump into week three of this Investigating Jesus series. <clears throat> and uh, as we do, well, let me ask you a question. How many of you grew up with some sort of family Christmas tradition? Yeah, most of us probably did. Um, I remember we had some some of those Christmas traditions in our family. And one of those that I remember is that we would, uh, every Christmas morning, before we did anything else, we would read the Christmas story together. Now, I'm not talking about a Christmas story, the one where Ralphie shoots his eye out. Um, I'm talking about the birth of Jesus. We would sit down as a family, and before anything else, we would read about the birth of Jesus because my parents wanted us kids to know that Christmas is about Christ. Well, I'm not totally positive, but I, I, would, I would assume that if we kind of took a poll here this morning, most of us would probably agree That despite all the, you know, in spite of all the Christmas presents and the decorations and the cookies and lights and all those things, that Christmas at its root is about Jesus. It's about the birth of Jesus. What I'm not so sure that we would all come to the same conclusions on is why that's really so important. In other words, if Christmas is about the birth of Christ, why is that such a big deal? Have you ever thought about the fact that we take weeks, even almost a whole month out of every year, to reflect on, to celebrate this one event, when we only give about a day to the death and resurrection of Jesus? Why is that? Of all the things about Jesus, why is his birth so important? Well, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question, but whether you have or not, I think that the author of the Gospel of Luke couldn't ignore it. And in his investigation of the life of Jesus, I think that he discovered the answer to that and recorded it for us to see in Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn there. Otherwise, you can follow along up here on the screen in a few moments. Um, We're going to dive into this. But before we do, if you remember from last week, or if you're going to go back and listen to the message if you haven't heard it, um, we talked about the story that actually unfolds and takes place throughout the chapter of Luke 1. And we saw the amazing things that God was doing um, in the lives and in the experiences particularly of Zechariah and Mary. And we saw how Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, although they were unable to have children, God blessed them with a son. And that son would later become the prophet John. And we saw in the life of Mary, this young teenage virgin girl from the middle of nowhere, that despite the fact that she was a virgin, God was going to do an incredible miracle. And he was going to give her a son. And this son would be the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. And that Messiah would be Jesus, the Son of God. Well, as incredible as Zechariah and Mary's experiences were, there's a couple parts to this story that we actually didn't look at last week. Because you see, as as Mary and Zechariah were seeing and experiencing these incredible things that God was doing, both of them couldn't help but step back and realize that God wasn't just doing this for their own personal growth. God was doing something here for the world. And because of that, both Mary and Zechariah in different parts of Luke chapter 1, they have this kind of these two songs of response and praise in which they acknowledge what God is doing for the world through these events. And we're going to look at that in a minute, and you'll see this in a minute, but both of these kind of songs of praise, they act almost like a solo part in a musical or a play. If you've ever seen a musical or a play, which you hopefully you probably have, maybe you've been in one, um, what usually happens at some point in the story is that one of the main characters will kind of have a solo part. And usually how that comes about is the story will kind of slow down and all the other characters will sort of fade to the background and the focus will zoom in on this one character and they'll kind of break out in this solo song. And usually that song kind of works to interpret the bigger picture of what's going on. And it helps the audience kind of slow down and catch up on the bigger picture of everything. That's exactly what's happening here in Luke chapter 1. We see Zechariah and Mary, as they're witnessing the incredible things God is doing, they both stop and they pause in the middle of the action and they interpret what God is doing for the world through these miraculous events. So we're going to get into this and we're going to start with Mary's song beginning in verse 46, but before we do that, I want to just point out that there's a lot of theology kind of wrapped up in these two songs, as you will see. And my goal this morning isn't necessarily to kind of get us into all the theology that's in here, but more so to kind of look at the bigger picture of what God was doing when he sent Jesus into the world. And I want to show you maybe a few reasons why I believe that that is so crucial to our faith today. if you remember from our story last week, after Mary was given that incredible news that she was going to bear Jesus the Messiah, the angel also told her what God was doing in Elizabeth and Zechariah's life, who was her relatives. So she kind of packed up her things and she headed to see them. And we saw last week that Mary and Elizabeth kind of have this amazing exchange once they finally meet. And Elizabeth blesses Mary. And it's in that exchange that Mary kind of sees all these things God is doing and she steps back and she speaks the song of praise that we're going to get into right now. So picking up in verse 46, this is how Mary kind of begins. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And go to the next slide. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. I love the way Mary starts this song off because it's it's so reflective of kind of that humility that we've seen in Mary up to this point. It would be easy for her to kind of boast about the fact that God has picked her out of all the other women in the world to be the one to bear Messiah. But we see kind of this humility in Mary that she's she's praising God for the fact that He's taken notice and shown grace to her amidst these big things that He's doing. And I love the way that Mary kind of sees her own story as connected to the larger events and this larger movement that God is doing in history right now. And I point that out to begin with because I think that it's really important for us especially amid kind of the nostalgia of Christmas time, to come back to the reality that our lives are part of God's bigger plan that is unfolding in this world. The birth of Jesus isn't just a random event that happened a couple thousand years ago that we sort of just celebrate out of routine. The birth of Jesus has direct implications on our lives here today. Mary recognizes that. And in seeing what God is doing on a bigger scale, she can't help but praise Him for showing her grace amidst the action that He's taking on behalf of the world. And that's why she moves on in these next few verses. In 50 through 53, she says, His mercy, this is God, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And we can keep going. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has lifted the, he has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty handed. So after kind of opening with sort of a personal praise to God, Mary moves on to point out the fact that God's mercy is in effect here. And that God is taking action on behalf of those who fear Him. And what's so important is that Mary is recognizing the fact that God's salvation is taking place through this child, Jesus. And as He does that, this is going to bring hope to the world. God, in His mercy that spans generations, is taking action on behalf of humanity. And you see this kind of contrasting language in these uh, verses, in these examples here. What's not being said is that, you know, the rulers of the world are bad and that the rich don't receive the mercy of God. What is being said, the point of this is that God is taking action on behalf of humanity and that action will result in hope, not for those who are proud, for those who see themselves as self-sufficient, but those who recognize their need and will humble themselves before God. So the first point that I kind of want you to take away uh, for why the birth of Jesus is so important to our faith is this, that the birth of Jesus matters so much to our faith because this is God taking action for mankind. Out of the, the mercy and the love of God, God is taking the initiative to come to us God is moving towards His people. And that's why you know, the the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, it is really the embodiment of the love of God for each and every one of us. And that's why John 3.16, that verse that we're all so familiar with, says God so loved the world. Out of His love, out of His mercy, out of His grace, He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him won't perish but have eternal life. You see, God could have remained aloof. He could have remained outside of us or beyond us and out of our reach. Or He could have sat on His throne high above us and and barked orders down at us and demanded everything from us. But He didn't. God came to us. And that changes everything. That's why... In reflecting on this moment in history, A.W. Tozer, in the next verse, or sorry, in the next slide, says this. He says, I confess that I'm struck with the wonder and the significance of the limitless meaning of these two words, He came. Within them, the whole scope of divine mercy and redeeming love is outlined. All of the mercy God is capable of showing, all of the redeeming grace that He could pour from His heart all of the love and pity that God is capable of feeling, all of these are at least suggested here in the message that He came. God has taken the initiative and He's come to us in love. I don't know how your Christmas season has gone so far. Or or maybe the circumstances that you're dealing with in your life. But I do know this, that the incarnation, the birth of Jesus is evidence that God cares for you today. When God sent Jesus into the world, He gave us definitive evidence that He loves us enough to step down from the glory of heaven to take action on behalf of you and I. But that's not all that God was doing And that's why the next verse of Mary's songs goes on to say in 54 and 55 that He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors. So this is kind of where Mary's song ends. And I want to, at this point, kind of transition into Zechariah's song because interestingly enough, the very theme that Mary ends on is actually right where Zechariah picks up and begins his song. And just to give you a little bit of context, if you remember from our story last week, Zechariah, because of his unbelief in the first place, uh, experienced about nine months or so of silence. And most scholars believe that he was deaf and mute during that time period. But as the dilemma of naming his child arose, Zechariah, even in the face of uncertainty, chose to obey God's instruction, to name the child like God had said. And as we saw through those stories, God was faithful. God remained true to his word and Zechariah was released from his silence and he began to speak and as it said, he began praising God. And this song that we're going to transition into now is kind of the it's the content of that praise that he breaks forth in after the birth of his son, and he picks up on that same theme that Mary ends with in hers, and he says, moving on in verse sixty-eight, Zechariah begins by saying, "Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to redeem, or he's come to his people to redeem them." And moving on, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he said through his holy prophets a long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. At the end of Mary's song and here in the first half of Zechariah's, both of these individuals are praising God for this one fact. God is fulfilling His promises. God is being faithful and true to His Word. In other words, Zechariah and Mary are making this connection that in the coming of Jesus the Messiah, God is fulfilling His promises that extended way back to the beginning of time and that had been carried through history for thousands of years. And this really kind of brings us to the crux of what I think Luke wants us to see in here. That the birth of Jesus is not just a random event that came out of nowhere. This wasn't just a spur of the moment idea. This had been planned in the mind of God and told and retold throughout generations of history leading up to this moment. God was being faithful to his promises. And if you're still kind of not sure maybe what I'm referring to when I say that, or even what Zechariah and Mary are referring to in their songs here, I want to give you just kind of a little bit of context and lead you through a little bit of what I mean when I say that God was fulfilling His promises. Because both Mary and Zechariah are saying the same thing. They're saying that God was fulfilling His promises that extended all the way back to the beginning. And I believe that these promises that God was fulfilling in Jesus Christ actually extended even as far back to the very first two people who walked the earth, Adam and Eve. If you remember back in that story, after Adam and Eve had sinned and disobeyed God, and their sin brought the consequences of death and decay into the world, God judged their sin. And in the midst of judging their sin, He judged Satan and evil for their part in that, and He promised that at some distant point in the future, someone was going to come who would crush Satan and defeat his power forever. And about this someone, God said in Genesis 3.15, that he will crush your head, that's Satan. He will crush Satan's head and you will strike his heel. And so from this first moment, From this point onward, God's plan of salvation for mankind began to unfold throughout history. And after generations had passed, God called out a man named Abraham. And although Abraham and his wife Sarah were unable to have children, God made Abraham a promise that from him he was going to make a great nation. And about this nation and from this nation, God's promised Abraham in Genesis 22.18, that through your offspring, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. And this promise that God made to Abraham generally refers to kind of how God was going to use the nation of Israel to bless other nations of the world. But it came to find specific fulfillment in this Messiah figure who God was going to send to bring salvation and blessing to all of the world. And that's why you see it reflected in Mary and Zechariah's songs that they're looking back at this promise in response to the coming of Jesus the Messiah. But God's promise, this thread of promise, didn't just stop with Abraham. It continued through history, and that's why Zechariah in his song, as we saw in verses 69 and 70, he says this, that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David as He said through His holy prophets of long ago. See, after the people of Israel became established in the Promised Land, God reiterated His promise to the great King David. And He basically said that at some point in the future, a king is going to come through David's line who will rule on his throne forever. And the word this, the word horn in this term, uh, horn of salvation in that phrase, It's a representative term that kind of symbolizes a strong king. And so God's promise, in other words, to David, was that a mighty king would rise from his line who would rule over his kingdom and on his throne forever. And this became the expectation. So much so that long after David was gone and through the time of the kings in Israel's history, prophets were continuing to reiterate this promise. And holding on to the hope that someday this Messiah King is going to come. And that's why we see it clearly expressed later, hundreds of years later, in the prophet Isaiah. When he says, in looking at this Messiah, in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, he says this. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. We could spend a whole lot more time on these promises, on these prophecies that had been uttered throughout Israel's history and throughout the world. And I know this is kind of a crash course through Israel's history and the thread of this promise, but I hope you at least see that the point is clear. God's promise to send a Savior to the world was not an unfamiliar or made-up idea that Luke just kind of tags into his Gospel here. This was God's promise since the beginning. God's promise to send a Savior that stretched as far back to the beginning of time. The birth of Jesus Is not just some made-up thing that happened in the middle of nowhere. The birth of Jesus is God fulfilling His promises. And that's what I think the the second point is that I want you to kind of take away with in regards to why this birth of Christ is so important and crucial to our faith today because the birth of Jesus is God fulfilling His promises. And in fulfilling those promises through Jesus, God was reminding us once again that He will always be faithful and true to His promises. Like I said, the birth of Jesus doesn't just appear as a random event in the middle of history for no reason. This was God in His sovereignty fulfilling what He had promised through the beginning now in Jesus Christ. And what I think is so amazing about these promises that were fulfilled in Jesus is that when God sent Jesus into the world, it was not just to kind of have a look around, see what's going on down here, and then report back. When Jesus came into the world, He came for a very specific reason. And that's where Zechariah finishes his song. Starting in verse 76, he says, "...and you, my child..." When Jesus came into this world, He came to bring salvation. And that's the third point that I want you to take away with regard to why the birth of Christ is so crucial to our faith is because the birth of Jesus is God bringing salvation to His people. And if you remember from our story, Zechariah speaks these words right after his son John is born which is why in verse 76 we kind of see him address his child. And he kind of clarifies what the role of John will be in all of this. John is going to be the prophet who prepares the way of the Lord, who tells Israel that the Messiah is here, the long-awaited Messiah is here. His name is Jesus and he's bringing a salvation that will involve the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God. Now, how Zechariah describes this salvation that the Messiah is going to bring, it's easy to miss, but it is so important. Because that wasn't necessarily the common thought among the people of Israel when this was happening. You see, when Zechariah spoke these words, for hundreds of years the nation of Israel had been under the control of foreign governments. And so, as they waited for this Messiah and hoped for this Messiah, there was this expectation that when He comes, He's going to bring a salvation that involves political liberation from these foreign governments. But look at the kind of salvation Zechariah is describing here. This is not a call to arms. This does not involve the death of enemies or the overthrow of a foreign government. This is God coming to us, entering into our existence and reaching into the deepest, darkest places of our lives and giving us what we need the most. The forgiveness of our sins and to be reconciled to Him again. Out of the mercy, the grace, the love of God, Jesus came into the world to shine light into the darkness and sin of our world and bring light and life and hope and peace. And that's what this story is about. This is what has been foretold and was now being fulfilled in Jesus. And like I said when I started, there's a lot wrapped up in these different songs. And we could probably spend weeks just kind of unpacking all that's involved in here. But if there's one kind of big idea that I think kind of emerges from these songs, and that I even think Luke would have us see, and even in light of these three points that I've mentioned, it might be something as simple as this: that God has a plan. God has a plan. There's a reason why these stories are included in Luke's gospel. And I really believe that he's leading us in this investigation to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's long awaited promise to bring salvation to a broken world desperately in need of a Savior. The birth of Jesus doesn't just happen out of nowhere. This is something that had been planned from the beginning and His birth, His entrance into this world just a couple of thousand years ago was the fulfillment of God's sovereign plan to rescue us bring us salvation and reconcile us to God. This is what had been foretold and was now fulfilled in Jesus. So I want to invite the band up here to kind of close this out but I think the reality that God has a plan invites each and every one of us to respond and trust to God. If you're not a believer here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, I believe God's Word invites you to trust Jesus in the Gospel today. Jesus came into this world to shine light into the darkest places of our hearts, of our lives, and to offer hope and healing and peace. And Jesus would eventually, later in His life, go to the cross and die for each and every one of us for our sins. And then He would rise in victory over sin and death and evil forever. And He stands now today to offer each and every one of us the opportunity to be saved and reconciled and brought into a a life-giving relationship with God again. And if you feel like today God is leading you to make that step, to take that step and trust Jesus as your Savior, I want to invite you to come to the back after the service. We want to pray for you. We want to talk with you, even if you just have questions about it. And if you're a believer this morning, again, I believe that God's sovereignty invites each and every one of us to trust Him. Our lives, our circumstances are not meaningless. They're connected to God's larger plan that He's writing into history even right now. And I encourage you this holiday season as we transition into this new year soon that you would look back on God's faithfulness and the ways that He fulfilled His promises in Jesus Christ and has brought us salvation to kind of propel you forward into this new year to have hope. Hope that God will be faithful to you and hope that God will ultimately fulfill His promises when Jesus comes again. Let's pray. Lord God, we lift you up this morning and we thank you for the reality that you have brought us salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the ways in which you have prophesied, the ways in which you promised this and how clearly it is that, Lord, you fulfilled that in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for reaching into our lives, Lord, and offering us hope in peace and love and forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that we would see your faithfulness today and that, Lord, you would give us hope as we move into this new year to walk in obedience and deeper trust in you. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray all these things. Amen.